turn in your Bibles to a psalm. This is most probably my personal favorite psalm, um, and I've never preached, I don't think I've ever preached it, uh, Psalm 40. If you turn there with, with, with me in your Bibles, and over the last few weeks during Christmas, I've been kind of stuck in this psalm. Um, God's been using it for me personally, just my personal reflection, um, and it is incredible how once you see the gospel in all of Scripture, how you, you can't read Scripture and not see the gospel in it. It's, it's a weird thing that happens. Is once you're convinced that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus coming to us, dying on the cross, being resurrected, and one day coming back, once you see that in Scripture, you can't read any Scripture again without thinking of Jesus is coming, and this is, must be about Jesus, or Jesus is the main character in the story. And so I've had an incredible just time reading through it personally, over the last week or two, and I've had an amazing time of just seeing Christ again, coming into Christmas, being reminded again of this merciful God that reaches towards us. There's a beautiful, a friend um, of mine put me onto, a, there's, I think it's through the Gospel Coalition, they're doing one-minute um, apologetics around the Gospel, and, the, and uh, as an introduction to Psalm 40, the guy was saying, what's different from other religions to Christianity? And he says, well, every other religion on this planet has has God at, at the top of a mountaintop somewhere, like high and mighty, holy, different from all of us. And every other religion is are people who have to work their way up towards God through works, through meditation, through sacrifice, through, through being holy, through not drinking, through not etc., etc. But you work your way, every religion on this planet is human beings, broken, fallen, messed up people trying to reach this holy, almost unattainable God sitting at the top of the mountain. And what's different about Christianity and our faith is that this holy God, magnificent, all-powerful God, is the only God in all religion that comes down towards us. He's the one that goes the opposite. He doesn't wait for us. He moves towards us. And Psalm 40 is a psalm about a God that moves towards us and His people. And so it's very appropriate as we... We're going to read it together slowly. You're going to read it on your Bibles. It's the verses we verse for verse on the, on the board behind me. Um, but let's just read this beautiful psalm together, and then we're going to look at the big six themes that come out of the psalm as we, as we move forward. Excuse me. Why is it that our throats and chests and flus and stuff arrive at Christmas time? Okay, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Maybe when you're reading this morning, make, make this your prayer. Often psalms can be used in our prayer life when we don't know how to pray. Often we can use a psalm to just pray. And maybe this morning, read this as maybe this is where you are. He drew me up from a pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards me. None can compare with you. We sang that this morning. No one can compare to this God. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have not required. 
Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written for me, and I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is written within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the, in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will will ever preserve me. What a beautiful scripture. For evil has encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch, me, snatch away my life. Let those who turn, turn back and brought to dishonor who delight in, in my hurt. Let those who be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, you've been found out. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes, takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. That often when we read passages like this, often as preachers, we're tempted to just sit down and let your word do the work. And I pray that as I share and as we, as we dig a little bit deeper, Lord, that, that I won't take anything or say anything that will take away from your word. And that which might take away, that Lord, you would give us grace to, to not even hear it. But Jesus, may we fall more in love with you as we see and discover more of your incredible grace and love towards us through scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. What a beautiful passage, eh? Isn't it just sometimes good to just hear the Word of God just clearly read over our lives. Uh, it's something that we should all do. We should maybe, um, the old scholars, the, old, the, the early church used to, we sh- we, they never ever read Scripture quietly. Whenever they read, they would read it audibly, loudly, so that they themselves could hear the Bible read to themselves. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Um, and so even like parents love reading out loud to your kids a storybook. When we read Scripture, I want to encourage you, even in your own personal walk with Jesus, when you go to your Bible, I'll challenge, just read it out loud and see if it makes a difference to you hearing, your ears hearing the Word of God being read. I think it's a beautiful thing. This is David writing clearly, um, and, and he writes here, and it's very interesting because David is experiencing um, trauma or a dark place. He's, he's needing salvation from God, and the, the attack on his life is coming from two places. It's, it's, you, we're going to read later about an inward battle that he's struggling. He goes, the enemy of myself and my walk and my love and my adoration for Jesus is my, I am my own worst enemy. I am poor and pitiful. I need Jesus to help me. And he's calling out for his Savior and for the Lord. But he also recognizes that he has an external enemy. There's a, there's a Satan, there's an enemy, there's the world that is, going, that is gunning against his faith and saying, you should worship other gods. You should be 
satisfied in other things other than Jesus. And so it's true to you and I. When we go to God and we find ourselves in places of, of turmoil or trouble, or we find our, our need for rescuing, our need is both. It's an internal need. God, help honor. My heart is, is, what does he say in the last passage there? He says, my heart is, I am poor and needy, Lord. Um, help me, my heart. Later on, it speaks about his heart that is, is not in a good place. There's a need, like, God, help me, help my heart, help honor. And there's also a prayer that, God, I've got an enemy that's trying to take away and rob me of my faith and my, my joy in you. And David is going to address both these. He remembers God's deliverance. He, he thinks back in the psalm to another time when God delivered. He remembers another time. There's a story. There's, a, there's, a, there's an incident. There are other incidences. There are, are recollections in his heart and his mind of other times when he needed saving and God came through for him. I don't want to do that over the mic. <coughs> Sorry. Apologies. Let's start with the first big theme for David, divine rescue. This idea of God that rescues us, a God that comes towards us. Let's read the first three verses. I'm just going to read it again. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. I wonder if in the beginning of this waiting process, how patient David really was. I wonder if he's writing, I waited patiently for the Lord after a while of not being patient with the Lord. I wonder if he can write, I waited patiently for the Lord now because he knows what it was like to not be patient. And that for a while he wasn't. And for a while he maybe didn't even go to, to write the song. But maybe he got to a place where he goes, I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. Maybe just pause about that. Are you in a hurry for God to answer those prayers? Are you, are you in a hurry? Is there a pressing need for, you, for God to come through? Or do you get to the place where you patiently wait for the Lord. David waited patiently for the Lord. I think it's important that little word patiently. It shows us that we're okay with God's timing. It shows us that we're okay with God's sovereign will over our lives, that we don't demand and command God on our time schedule. But there's a humility in this saying, hey God, I think my need is desperate right now, but I'm patiently going to wait for you. Have you seen kids wait patiently for presents and kids that are impatient for presents? Which one would you prefer to deal with? I don't think we get to choose. In our family, it's very interesting. Some people like, will try and get us to open presents like every day for the, the week leading up to Christmas because they can't wait for Christmas Day. They're not, I don't know where they are or who they are. But there's, we, we'd rather deal with patient people, isn't it? And there's a humility that comes with patience. And I want to encourage all of us that if you're in a place where you desperately need God to come through, I'm praying that God would give you the grace to, to wait upon his hand patiently. If you're going through a really rough time in your life and your heart at the moment, be patient with yourself. Be patient with the process that God has got you in. Be patient that God will see you through. I think we, we live in a world that is in such a hurry that if God doesn't come through immediately or if we don't get over our hurdles quickly, we think we fail. We, we not, God's not going to come through. And for many of us this year has been a tough year emotionally. Some of us lost, have lost, I'm thinking of folk in our, in our gathering that have lost dear mothers um, to death, to cancer, to, to illness this year, to people that are still mourning, people that have, that have lost jobs and finding, where am I going to go? There are people that are trusting for their futures for next year, going, God, will you answer me already? I want to encourage all of us in the room to let, encourage one another to be patient in our waiting for God. 
Let's be patient for one another to, to get there. Let's not hurry through processes. Let's not hurry through getting strong and healthy and we've got it all together. No, it's okay to be taking our time with Jesus. And I want to I say to you, if this has been a really tough year and there's some stuff that's really lingering in heart and heart sore in your heart, I want to say to you, God's patiently working in you. And we as a church are patient. We don't expect you to be a superhero, to be having all, all of those things together. And then the verse, the verse continues, He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He inclined to me. He, in other words, he, like he bent down to me. He came down to where I'm at. He didn't wait for me. He came down. He, inclined, he got down from his high and mighty place into my mucky place, and he got into where I was. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? No matter where I am, no matter how deep I'm, whether I dug the hole myself or whether I fell into a trap, that this God would incline towards me, that he would move towards me and that he would hear my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song praise of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. David is literally preaching to himself here. He's literally speaking to himself. He stooped down and listened to my cry. The God who hears is the God who acts. Our God who hears our cries is a God that acts. We don't always see it. We don't always can see it with our, our physical eyes. We can't even necessarily always feel it. But I can, I can assure you that the God that you and I pray to, not only hears our prayers, but he acts towards us. He is busy moving towards you today. I don't know how subtle, because some of the things are quite easy. So, so sometimes in our heart, the things that we're mourning, the loss of a loved one, the loss of income, the insecurity about our future, are big things. They kind of like just smack you in the face and going, I can get that you're struggling with that. But what happens to the stuff that's in our heart that's deep and subtle, like pride, like the need to control our future, like the need for everybody to like you, for the fear of man that resides in your heart, that what are people going to think? What do I look like? What about those things that reside in our hearts and, and when, you, when it's late at night and you can't sleep because these things keep you awake and you, you're crying out quietly and saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm even scared to admit this, but would you help me? I can assure you that he even hears those cries. Not just the loud, abrupt, shouting for desperate need, but even the quiet cries where, God go, where we cry, God, can you hear me? I'm even too shy, too embarrassed. I'm, I should know better but I'm struggling with this in my heart. Would you help me? I think pride, fear of man, opinion of man that we live under as human beings in today's social, social media and that kind of age is just incredible, that weight of it. And even our need for God to deliver us is he hears that. And he, he doesn't just hear, but he actually acts upon it. He's doing something. He drew me out of a miry clay, the pit of to, to, um, tumult, this roaring pit. Um, in another psalm, later on in the, in, in the psalms, um, there's a psalm that says, deep cries out to deep, cries out to deep. And what happens is David is explaining that, I thought the hole that I was in was this deep. But then I discovered, no, it wasn't this deep. There was a deeper trouble I could be in. And then he discovered, no, there was deeper trouble I could be in. And it's almost like the levels of crisis or trouble that he found his heart in. Every time he thought he reached rock bottom, then it was worse. And this picture of Jesus reaching into the worst place we find our place in our, our, ourselves in. He set my feet upon a rock. He set 
our feet upon a rock. What's our rock? The truth of God, God's word, who he is. He is our rock. Put a new song in my mouth. We sing new songs. We sing not new songs because they're new, but our hearts sing different songs. They sing different songs from what we sang before. So if you look at the old, where songs came from in the original time, in the, like before the medieval even times, there were songs about our trouble. Nobody knows the trouble I'm in. Nobody knows, but you know, all those old kind of songs that we, we kind of laugh at, etc. But a lot of the songs in the day were about drinking, raucous parties, celebrating life, and just how well we're doing, how wealthy we are. Um, our, my football team has been winning a few, few games and some big trophies over the last while. And all the songs are being written about their victorious how good they are, how strong they are, how they've conquered all of Europe now, all of the world, etc., etc. Okay, I'll stop. But we write songs that celebrate ourselves. But when Christ grabs all of us, we start singing songs not about ourselves, but of, of Him. We start finding our joy in Him. He, we adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Let's not adore ourselves. Let's not, let's not adore the things of Christmas. Let's adore Christ of Christmas. What was the next one? We give you all the glory. Every win, every victory, every achievement in our lives is yours. You are the greatest victor. You, not me. You're the greatest achiever. You are the greatest God. You are the greatest in our lives, not me. We, our, our new song focuses towards Christ away from ourselves. And then in verse 4 and 5, he moves towards trusting Jesus. The call to trust Jesus. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. It's an interesting one. Makes the Lord his trust. In other words, there is a... A decision, an action makes the Lord. I choose to trust Jesus. I choose, I make Jesus the one that I trust and whom I trust. Who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. I've told the story before. Um, I'm sure you've heard this. But for me, this was a very real thing. As a young guy leading a church where, where the transition wasn't going well, um, at one night, waking up, literally the sound of me grinding my own teeth, waking me up because it was so loud. If it wasn't my wife waking me up, I woke myself up. Um, I've got no teeth on this side of my mouth because of stress and trying to figure everything out. And literally one evening, I think it was like 2, 3 in the morning, um, woke up and I, to the side of my teeth grinding, I kind of like, and, and I literally just felt the Lord say to me, honor, you don't trust me. Just like that, I just felt God saying, you grinding your teeth and you stressing because you actually, the real issue is yeah, you don't trust me. I rolled out of my bed, like knelt next to my bed, Claire was still sleeping, and I just said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I trust you. And from that minute, miraculously, by God's grace, stopped grinding my teeth, stopped some stressful stuff that I was doing in my life that wasn't healthy for me. But the, the kind of action where you kind of, by God's grace, we get to the place where we go, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. 2020 is coming. It's not going to wait for you. I know it's just another number. I know it's just another date. I know it's just another year. But many of us are, there are things that we are looking for in 2020 that's going to make us happy or give us satisfaction. We're going, it's going to give us joy, etc. I want to say to you, make Christ your joy and your satisfaction next year. And trust Him. Trust Him for next year. Trust Him for those big decisions. Trust Him that He knows what He's doing in your life. You have multiplied, O oh Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds. Again, he's, we need to remind ourselves. I, I love, I, there's a lot of American culture I do not like. But what I do love about America is, is Thanksgiving. When they pause everything and they sit around the table and they go, let's give thanks for what, what God has done and what we have done for each other. We celebrate just a, an attitude of Thanksgiving where we, with a, with a, what, we just pause life. And I, I think David is doing it, saying, you have multiplied, O oh Lord. In the middle of his prayer, He's kind of praying about where he's at. God, you're reaching out to me. 
in the middle, he stops and he goes, God, you've done so good for me. And, I, and sometimes Thanksgiving needs to interrupt our prayer life a bit, maybe a bit more, a lot more, where we stop and pause on, on your wondrous deeds, your, your thoughts towards us. God, I know what your thoughts are towards me. Do you know what God thinks towards you? Do you know what God's plans are towards you? Do you know what his design, his heart is towards you? Or have you forgotten? Are, are the opinion of people towards you shouting louder than God's thoughts towards you and who you are in your identity as a, as a son and a daughter? None can compare with you. None can compare with you. Nothing can compare. Even if God, by his grace, answered your number one big prayer right now for next year, for this Christmas, for this December, that cannot even compare to him, to him finding you and you finding your joy in him this Christmas and this next year. Nothing can compare to you finding more joy and more satisfaction in Christ next year than Christ himself. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than I can be told. We don't place our trust in ourselves. We don't place our trust in decision makers if we think God is signing our futures. We place our trust in him over and over and over again. And that's how we get out of the pit. We get out of the, the pit by, by claiming and holding on to him and allowing him to grab hold of us and say, God, I'll make, I'm trusting you to deliver me. And verse 6 to verse 8, worship Jesus. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. You have given me an open ear. I've open, I'm listening to you. This idea that, God, you're listening. Hey, like sometimes, um, Claire and I, I, I'm, we could do a marriage week on this thing, I think, about communication. But often Claire will say, I've spoken, I'll go, I didn't hear you. I didn't listen to you. Was the TV on? Was the sport on? Were we talking about smoking meat? What were we discussing in the background? Um, kind of thing. And this idea of, you have my full attention. And there are moments where Claire knows she has my full attention. I'm eye contacting, I'm listening to her, and they are beautiful, but they are also sometimes too rare for our marriage. But this idea that, God, you have given me an open ear, that when I speak, you hear me. See, I'm fallible, I've got flaws, I'm a human being. My ability to listen and to hear you is not always 100%. Often it's, it's filtered with my own experiences, my own insecurities. So Rich and I could be having a conversation, and Rich could be crying out for help, and I won't be hearing it. I can hear it, but I can't listen. And I could miss a conversation. And my friend would have said, hey, I grabbed a coffee because I am actually want to share my heart. And all I thought was, we're having coffee for the sake of our friendship. And I walk out of it and I didn't hear. The beauty of God is when we go to Him in prayer, His ears open towards us. And He hears and He listens. And He acts towards us. He's not like honor. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written for me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Something's changed in the heart. Again, Christmas is Christ coming towards us. It's a death nail to religion. It's a death nail towards me moving towards Jesus, me saving myself, me making the right decisions, me being in the right place at the right time so that God could save me. No, no, no. All of this is a death nail to that. This is not about sacrifice and, and offerings, etc. This is about the ultimate sacrifice and offering in Christ for me because I could never pay it so that I could be his son and his daughter. He wants our affections. He wants our hearts. He wants our obedience. If we love him, we'll obey him. Isn't that what the New Testament says? If you love me, you'll obey me. 
So how do we know how, whether you love Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? It's not, a, it's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's not, it's, we've got some of those guys, but they're clever people. But this is not meant for clever people. This was written to fishermen and woodcarvers and, and bread bakers of the day. If you love me, obey me. It's a simple thing. How does Claire know that I love her? That I obey, not in a slave way. Uh, there's certain things that I need to do in our marriage that's going to make our marriage work better. If I don't obey certain things, it's going to cause chaos in our marriage. I can promise you that. Not because Claire's a rule keeper, because there's certain things that she has the right to, to expect from me as her husband. So Christ calls for our obedience. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart this Christmas. Christ is more interested whether he's got your heart this Christmas than whether you're doing all the right things this Christmas. You can give money to a charity. You can go to every single church service that's available in your neighborhood over Christmas. You can, you can double your, your, your tithes over Christmas. You can give money to the poor. You can be nice to all the family members that you don't really want to be nice to. You can do all those things this Christmas, and it could mean nothing other than, I'm trying to reach God. I'm trying to no, no, obey Christ. Let Him grab hold of your heart and let Him, let him lead you. 9 to, to 10. We're moving through this at a decent pace. Tell others. I remember as soon as Claire and I started dating, and um, we are one of those kind of like dating scenario scenes where, where I literally, I, I put it all on me, I literally fell in love at first sight. Like Claire walked into the room, I told one of the sound guys, we were doing sound at the back of a, of a youth event, I turned to one of the young guys and said, that's going to be my wife. Like, that's it. I, I was besotted with this this blue-eyed brunette that walked in with a friend, etc., etc., um, and I did everything to pursue Claire. I looked in those days; there were no cell numbers. There wasn't Facebook that you could you could like stalk someone and check their relational history, etc., etc. Or I couldn't find any of that. I literally found out: Does she have friends? Who are her friends? Get hold of her friends. Where do they work? Find their work number. Like that's how we tracked in the old days. Find work numbers. Hi. Then I had to convince her friend Nadia was the friend. So I still remember 26 years ago. Nadia, phone Nadia. I had to convince Nadia that it was a decent guy that she could give me Claire's work number. She wouldn't tell me where Claire worked, where she lived or anything. She said, who are you? Why do you want my friend's phone number, etc." Eventually found her work number. Hey? And I eventually phoned Claire. She was at work at Cooper Conroy. Memory. Phoned her at work. I think it was midday-ish. And I invited her for our first date. I said, Claire, would you go to dinner with me? I was nervous. I was shaking. I was rattling. And after our first date, I went to my best man. That was eventually my best man at my wedding. After like a week, I said, I found this. I said, Evan, this is the one. This is my wife. Evan said, oh no, you've said that a few times before. We can't, like you fall, you'll, you fall in love easily. Oh no, we know you. And so at our wedding, when Evan did his best man speech, he got up and he goes, oh no, this is the one. Anyway, but when you fall in love hard and you fall in love with someone, it doesn't take you much to tell everybody else about this someone. And I think some of the, the biggest reason why the church, the modern Western church today struggle with mission or with evangelism or sharing the gospel, because I'm not so sure the church is falling in love enough with Jesus. Because should you fall in love and hard enough in love with Jesus, you can't not tell your friends and people about this Jesus. So the issue is not work harder, do more evangelism, be more missional. The issue is fall more in love with Jesus. Fall more in love with Jesus and you will tell your friends. 
Why on earth would you not tell your friends? If you won, now maybe you wouldn't. I was going to say, if you won the 60 million rand lotto, none of you would say anything. You'd go, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I'm buying new clothes for the next two years, same car for the next five years. No, okay, maybe you would. I don't know. But we would tell people, behold, I've not restrained my lips. And I love this about, I'm sure that if David, when he did fall in love with, his, with a wife, if he had a wife, that he would literally, he'd be that guy, like, oh no, telling everybody, I found the one. She is gorgeous. I'm going to marry this girl, etc., etc. I'm sure he's just like that. I love um, verbal processing people. I trust him easy, easier. Um, I have not hidden your deliverance from my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. He keeps talking about how amazing this Jesus is. He saved me. He, he is faithful to me. He, he never lets me down. I have not ceased... Um, um, concealed your steadfast love. He is steadfast towards me. He loves me. He's faithful. He keeps telling everybody. She's, she's a brunette. She's got blue eyes. She works in a, in a she was working in a, was a gym at that stage. No. No, you had attorneys then. And, and I could tell you everything about Claire. I literally went on one date with her. And I could tell you everything about this Claire. Sometimes we need to fall in love again with Jesus. I would love for each one of us over Christmas to personally fall in love again freshly with Christ and with Jesus. Because if we had to, if you and I had to, I would never have to say to you, share the gospel with your friends. I would never have to say to you, hey, let's live missional lives. A lot of what we program, what we do around in our lives is because of a lack of passion or falling in love with Jesus. Do you really see salvation as a rescue? Did you need rescuing? Do you see how great the Lord and the love of Christ is in you? Do you see the, do you acknowledge that you needed rescuing? Are you aware that you needed rescuing? Even the saintliest person in this room needed rescuing. Even the, the saintliest person in this room needed, was stuck in a miry pit of self-destruction and sin and they needed Christ to pull them out. Even the most innocent person in this room needed rescuing. And it's very easy and it's very common that in our faith we forget that we needed rescuing. We forget how, how, how shocking, how sinful we were, how selfish we were, how proud we were before Christ grabbed all of our lives. We forget. We forget the gospel. And the part of the gospel that modern people are most guilty of forgetting is how bad they were before Christ saved them. They forget just how terrible you were and what terrible state you were in for Christ to have come and done what he did. We all think we were decent people before Jesus even came. And honor before and honor after Jesus literally is the same person, but now I go to church. Some of us honestly think like that. The honor before and honor after, the only thing that's really changed is now I, I get to hear the Bible preach and I go to church and I, and I don't do certain things. No, the honor before Jesus was going to hell and deserved to go to hell because of his sinful rebellion, rejection of God and Christ and who he is. And could not save himself. Was in the pit, reaching out, saying, I can't get out on my own. That was honor before Jesus. The honor after Jesus, the only difference is that Jesus reached down, stooped to me with his hands of grace and salvation, and plucked me, pulled me out of the miry clay of my own destruction, my own pit of sin. And put me on a steady rock, on a solid rock to walk on. That's the difference. The difference between these two is Christ, before and after. Not me, not who I am, what I did. 
mercy, please. I love how, how he speaks of mercy here. And Psalm 40 verse 11 is one of the most, like if I'd have picked a few verses, six verses in Scripture would be most probably one of my go-to ones. As for you, O Lord, listen to this beautiful promise. You will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever, will ever preserve me. You will not restrain your, your mercy from me. You won't hold back mercy from me. You won't hold back grace and kindness and love towards me. Do you know what that literally means for you and I today? It means if you're a Christ follower, and I would almost want to guess that if you're not even a Christ follower yet, if you're here in church, that God is pursuing you with mercy and grace. But as Christ follows, what it literally means is that they, no matter what I'm facing and what I'm going through right now, God is not sitting on His throne with His arms folded, listening to me plead and beg for mercy and grace, and listening to me and going and doing nothing about it. This is not God's posture towards His sons and His daughters. God's posture is, is like this, I'm coming for you. I am moving towards you. So right now, no matter where and what you find yourself in, God's mercy and grace is moving towards you. God is not holding back on anything from you. He's not saying, no, 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 you're not going to have that. You're not going to do this. I'm going I'm to make you suffer a bit more. I'm going to ask you to beg more. I'm going to ask you to behave a bit better before I give this to you. I'm, I, no, no, no. Why? Because He's already given Christ His Son to us. So God's mercy and grace is never restrained. It's always moving towards you. So right now, no matter what you're facing and I'm facing, no matter how fearful we are, what the fear for the future is in our hearts and our, in our minds, you and I can know, because of Scripture, that God is moving towards me. I can go to bed every evening and go, God, your mercy and grace is moving towards me right now. You're not moving in the opposite direction. You're not even not moving in the opposite direction. You're not even folding your arms about it. You're not enjoying this moment of me begging. No, God, you're moving towards me. The God who hears is the God who acts right now. And we need wisdom and we need God's grace to, to understand and believe for that. And then verse 12, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. My iniquities, my sins, my, my heart, my, the sin of dark, dark things in my heart. And I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. My heart fails me. David wouldn't even trust his own heart. He would go to God. He said, God, I'm going to trust you. I can't even trust my own heart because my heart is deceitful. My heart will draw me away from you, not towards you. Only you, only your spirit, only your work of salvation draws me towards you. My heart will draw me away from you. I can't trust my own heart. What do the, what do the young guys say today? The struggle is real. It's very real. Where's Hayes? Hazel, that's your favorite saying. The struggle is real. The struggle is real and the, and the struggle is close. The struggle is closer than we'd like to admit often. Most often the struggle is inside our own hearts towards trusting and loving and believing in Jesus. Then David continues in verse 13. Set me free. He's, he's begging, he's crying to God, saying, Lord, set me free. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Be pleased, O Lord, to, if it's your will. Again, that humility. Lord, if this is your will, will you do this? How many of us pray like that today? How many of us don't pray, your Bible says, if I'm this, I get that. There's a lot of that going on today in the world. 
in Christianity. Your Bible says this. I'm not asking God. I'm commanding God. There's certain things in Scripture I don't ask. I can command from God. I would just, if you incline that way, I would just want to maybe, I don't know how else to say, but say, down, boy. Just down, like slowly, down. Just humble yourself before a holy God that, is, that we should be awestruck of it and we never command from this God. If it is your will, will you do this? Even though God's promised things, we still come in with patience and with humility towards God. We never walk into a prayer meeting demanding and commanding the holy God to do anything. He's a holy, he is in command and in charge God. We come under his will in his time, patiently and humbly before him. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Lord, hurry up, I need you. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dis to dishonor, who delight in my hurt, those who enjoy seeing me struggle. And it is weird. People love seeing other people battle and struggle. We all have it in us. Don't even sit here and smile like you never ever feel when, when people you don't like going through bad things and you go, ooh, that feels a little bit good. And they, no, no one's ever felt that. No one in this, no one in a church meeting has ever enjoyed their enemy, seeing their enemy struggle. No one, we've never ever felt like that. I'm not at all enjoying Man United being in the lower bottom of the... Of the t- I, I struggle. My heart breaks when I hear. No. There is something in us that actually... Evil in our hearts that rejoice when we see people that... We just don't get on not doing so well. We kind of like... is a bit of a... I don't know. It's, it's horrible to admit, isn't it? None of us want to admit that in church. <laughs> but before God, we can admit that. Before Jesus, we can say, I'm not... I'm like that. I can rejoice in some people that I don't enjoy or agree with not doing well. I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, cho cho. Well, my friends would say, ha pa pa la Don't know where that comes from. Let those be appalled because of the shame who say, ha ha, we've caught you out. Look at, where's your God? Where's this mighty God of yours? As Christians, we often get that from the world when we go through hard times. Where's your God? Where is your God? Where is His faithfulness? Where is His love? It's on the cross. It's in Christ. Yeah, yeah, now you're just playing games. No, no, no. It's not games. That is our real hope. Our real hope is on that cross. was on that cross 2,000 years ago. Our real joy comes from that. Our real joy doesn't come in our work, our relationships, our futures. Our real joy comes because Christ saved us. It's not just a, a nice answer to, us, to, to, to get around tough times when things aren't working out in your life. No, no, no. My joy comes from Christ. Our joy comes from Him. In verse 16 and 17, as we, as we land, our joy. Jesus, our joy. Listen to how the psalm ends. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Would you, I want to invite you, Christ follower, family guest to a, a dedication this morning. I, wanna, I would like to invite you to seek Jesus over Christmas. Seek this Lord Jesus. Speak to friends that know Him. Read Scripture. Read the Gospels again. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. There's this idea in David that when you find Jesus, a joy and peace comes into your life that nothing else can replace. That you could, Paul speaks about, I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What strengthens Paul 
in prison, hungry, without money, with more enemies that he, that he would care to number, gunning for his life, his life being threatened, in the midst of all that, he says, I can do all things. Why? Because his love and affection for Christ is stronger than what these things threaten to take away from him. I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. He is enough for me. May those who love your salvation say continuously, great is the Lord, great is the Lord. We, we as worship leaders and elders, we often talk about the songs we sing in church. And we keep saying the same thing to our worship leaders. Sing songs about how great God is. Don't sing songs about what we can do for this God or what we will do for this God or what we feel about it. No, no. Sing songs and remind us every Sunday of how incredible this God is. Because during the week when we walk out those doors, we forget about how faithful, how loving, how, how merciful, that He is for me, that He is moving towards me. As soon as we get in the car and we have a conversation, even with another Christian, we start going, is He really faithful? Is He really moving towards me? Is He kind towards me? Is He merciful towards me? Is He going to rescue me? Is He going to help me? Now we need reminding of this incredible God over how great is the Lord. Verse 17, as for me, this we should all be able to say. As for me, I am poor and needy. How countercultural is this? How counter some gospel preaching in today's culture is this statement. As for me, I am poor and needy. We're not hearing that a lot today. Not even from pulpits. I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. The Lord's thought of me. He's remembered me. The Lord chooses to remember me. He thinks of me, poor and needy. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh God, do not delay. One day, we are celebrating on Christmas a baby coming towards us 2,000 years ago. God coming towards us. David was praying for the Lord to come. We as the church can say this. Why? Because we're waiting for the return of Jesus. He's been, he's died on the cross, he's been raised from death, he's now sitting at the right hand of his Father, and there's something in you and I that should live with, with Christmas in mind as God coming towards us. It should trigger Christ coming towards us, but it should also trigger a future coming. It's like a double punch for us now, as, as after the cross. We get Christ coming for us, and we punch with, and He's coming again. He is returning for us. And I'm not sure where you're at when you hear about climate change or politics or where the world's heading and humanity is heading. You listen to that and you go, Lord, do not delay. Come back soon. Hey? Isn't, I hope we all have that in us. I hope that that is more important than your bucket list <laughs> in your life and in your heart. That No, Lord, don't delay. Jesus, you came once. You said you're coming back. Can we believe him that he's going to come back? Yes, we can. Why? Because he came. He came knowing that he's going to die on the cross. Knowing what, what he's going to face. Knowing the betrayal. Knowing the suffering knowing the separation from his father because of sin, receiving the, the, the wrath of God against the, the sin that I and you committed towards him, knowing that he came, how much more confidence should you and I have that he's coming back for us? Hey, there's a song that we used to, we used to listen to on the radio. Um, I don't know if in the early 80s, I'm sure many of you did it. We used to stay up at like on a Sunday night at 8 o'clock and, and 5 FM or Radio 5, 
used to play the top, twi like top 20 and used to, on a tape recorder, record every song. Anybody ever, can I just honestly, who's old here? Put your hand up. No, no, if you ever did that, Peter Monaghan, don't be shy. You did that. So everybody that's over, so ba no, you're too young. You wouldn't even know what a tape recorder is. Sorry? Still too young. That's great. Stay young, but <laughs> don't be like us old buddies. I remember lying under my duvet, like hiding, like listening to the radio, and, should, and you have to record it before the, the guy spoke. So as soon as you finish introducing the song, you press record, and then you have to catch before, because they weren't allowed to play the whole song. They used to, you know, for recording reasons. And we used to have these mixtapes. And there was a mixtape that had, and in the 80s there was a song called Wild Horses. Could not drag, drag you away from me. I don't know, even know who sang it. I don't know any of the 80 bands, I just know the songs. Um, but there was a song called Wild Horses Couldn't Keep You, Couldn't Drag You Away From Me. And there's a sense that when I said, hey, I'm going to get married to Claire, it would have taken, I don't know what to drag me away from that day and making sure that moment's going to happen. That's honor. That's, that's poor of heart, needy honor. It's saying nothing's going to keep me away from getting married to this girl. How much more determination and commitment do you think lies within our Savior Jesus waiting for His bride? He's, I'm, I'm not sure. Our Jesus is pure and He's infallible and He's holy. But if He's not pacing in heaven, going, Father, is it now? Can I go back now? I'm hoping that there's something in Jesus that's like a little bit agitated. Forgive me, Jesus, for saying that. But I'm just saying, I'm hoping there's a bit of like, oh, Father, now, can I get to my bride? And I'm sure there is a desire in him that's pure and sinless to want to be with us and come back for us tomorrow or today or right now. And I want to say to you, let's live with that. Let's keep praying. Jesus, come back. Jesus, we come deliver, but come back. We're ready for you. Come back for you. Your bride is ready. Let's live as individuals with Jesus, you're coming back for us. And we can't wait for that day. All good? Let's worship. Let's stand to our feet. Um, we're going to sing one more song, and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray and release us. Shall we get to our feet?